If my math is correct, I believe we have burned through 33 open Saturdays just to get to this point in the college football season. This is the Matt Berry Show here on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. I am so happy that we've embarked on a full slate of Saturday games. And as always, throughout the season, the great Paul Feinbaum will be joining me uh, throughout the week. And the star of Swamp Kings, really, if you've got into the <laughs> documentary on Netflix. I was thrown with finally. Let me just tell you this real quick. Before we get into the week, you are a walking soundbite. You're a producer's dream. Yeah, it's it's so funny, Matt. Um, I mean, I'm walking down the street and people are saying, Hey, I saw you, I saw you in Swamp Kings. And I mean, I've done a million things far more important uh and compelling. Uh, but this thing happened. I, I did this interview a year and a half ago. Not that I forgot about it, but I just really didn't give much thought to it. Uh, and all of a sudden there I am as the the, the spokesperson for, for the Tim Tebow Urban Meyer era, which I'm quite embarrassed about in, in any way. <laughs> I'm I'm lumped into Urban Meyer in, in, in any walk of life, but uh, it's one thing to be, you know, on this program or that program, but when, once you hit Netflix, man, you've made it. You've absolutely made it. In fact, here's here's just to show the beautiful people who watch uh, this show, the Matt Berry show on on the College Football YouTube channel. We had two prominent stars that are the mainstays on this show. Dan Mullen, he gave us a preview of it last week, and then the great Paul Feinbaum. So, if you really want uh, industry movers and shakers on Netflix. Come see us here. And I, I've got to ask Dan Mullen. I mean, I'm sure you saw the, the whatever game it was when he literally, uh, you know, t- gets down on the ground and says, I want you to like, and, and uses, you know, every expletive under the world. I mean, I, that, that's a side of Dan I, I've never seen before. Oh, the great part about Dan, here, here's, here's what I'm learning about Mullen. And I'll be with him uh, a lot this season. We're going to be calling Thursday Night College Football together and he'll be in studio with me all day Saturday. The... Switch of persona from everyday Dan Mullen to coaching Dan Mullen is one that is absolutely fascinating. When you break down big picture, Paul, coaches how they're wired off the field and coaches how they're wired when they are coaching. It's oh, fascinating. Right. Yeah, no, he, uh, I mean, he he does not leave out. An, I mean, he's come up with 18 degrees of, of an F word that I've never heard before. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Uh, it's over now. I'm, I'm going to have to move on to my next uh, Netflix appearance uh, coming to a theater near you. Here. I can't wait. Maybe someday I'll have the honor of, of, of appearing in, in the same Netflix special as Paul Feinbaum. But the week one schedule is here. We got a little bit of a taste of it in week zero. I don't want to really dive into it too much because same as it ever was, USC's defense stinks. Caleb Williams is great. But I'll say this. If over the last three to five years, Paul, we made this statement, if Notre Dame had a quarterback, they'd be something to deal with. And just quickly on Notre Dame, that game against Navy was close last year. This thing was over by halftime. Yeah, that's a, that's a big impact. And, you know, Sam Hartman could have gone a lot of places and, and he went to Notre Dame and, uh, you know, they, they will benefit from that. And, and, and Matt, as I think about Notre Dame and I think about that game, uh, I just also think about how college football missed an opportunity to have more games on week zero. It's, yeah. it, there's nothing going on. Uh, I, I mean, you, you have two free weekends if you use that effectively before the NFL just completely uh, suffocates the world. And I don't, I, I don't know why, you know, we have two main, you know, Notre Dame and, and SC. And other than that, hardly anyone bothered. 
Well, and you couldn't even watch USC because no, it was on no. the Pac-12 network. And so the best team playing on Saturday, you couldn't see. And you had Vanderbilt kick off their season against Kentucky. I, I, I'm i with you. I, don't, I think it would be smart. Well, here's here. put it this way. I think college football was smart to make this upcoming week, Labor Day weekend, where everybody's back at school. Everything's situated. You've got a Thursday game, Utah, Florida. you got a yeah. good game on Friday. You got a full slate on Saturday. You got Clemson Duke. Oh no, LSU Florida State Sunday, right. and then Clemson Duke Monday. So they do a good job of of a grand opening weekend. But look, when you look at the Week One slate, and we had talked about Sam Hartman and quarterback at Notre Dame a minute ago, and what he's going to add to the Fighting Irish this year, there still has not been a quarterback decision at Alabama. Nick Saban comes out yesterday. We thought he was going to name a starter. We thought he would let us in a little bit on what's going on. Paul, he didn't even release a depth chart. Now, I'm not one to question Nick Saban and his decision-making, but not releasing a depth chart for the first time in 17-something years ahead of week one. He said they didn't need those distractions, but we're still talking about it anyway on the fact that he didn't release a depth chart to the media. And and anytime you talk about Nick Saban, it's like it's like talking about certain people in public life. Uh, there, there's a group that will defend him no matter what. Uh, so I heard a lot of people yesterday say evil genius. He, uh, he's outsmarted the media again. I'm not sure that that's really a case. I mean, I thought he showed some petulance uh, when he when he when he when he talked about how I told you guys last year uh, this would be the last one. I mean, the point is, uh, everybody has a depth chart. Uh, and, and even if you have a depth chart, you don't have to say who your starter is. It's it, college football uh, is is littered with coaches who go either or or right. That's fine. Okay, I'm not concerned about that. It's just it's just a model, and to, for him to say, Matt, that you know, it, it caused a lot of distractions. I mean, er, it caused a lot of distractions on the team. I mean, who, everybody that played little league baseball, pee wee football, everybody everybody knows who the starter is and who the backup is, and that doesn't mean it's over. Uh, and, and I just thought it was there was a disconnect there, and I have a lot of friends in Alabama who are puzzled by it. Uh, and you know, there's there's those who say Saban knows what he's doing, but in this case, I, I don't know how you can support that argument because it, it just shows some a degree of indecision. And, and by the way, uh, we're talking about Middle Tennessee, uh, right? But it doesn't really matter how many quarterbacks you play; it's all about the next week against Texas. But it just still was a a weird look for Nick Saban. Week, especially when you're coming into your first game of the season, and we like to, as we do our jobs in the media, where we look at a depth chart and we say, okay, like Ryan Day speaking to the media. We're taping this at uh, Tuesday a.m. at around 9:40. Ryan Day is going to speak to the media today. We're expected to hear that both Devin Brown and Kyle McCord are both going to play in the season opener at Indiana. We expect that to be the case because we don't know that he's made a decision, but at least he's going to. Let us know. We believe that two quarterbacks are going to play. Right. Here, here's where I'm at with the, with the Saban and the Alabama decision. Part one, I think we all believe that Jalen Milrow, physically gifted, is the best quarterback on Alabama in terms of physical gifts. We know Tyler Buckner came in from Notre Dame after his offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, was hired. Okay, so we know that there's the transfer portal and the connection there. And we also know Ty Simpson's a five-star, four-star, whatever the hell it might be, highly <laughs> rooted kid. So this says to me that they might not legitimately know who they're going to go to battle against Texas with. Like you said, this week's irrelevant because you can go quarter and a half, quarter and a half, quarter and a half with each of the three and see who pops. 
So I don't know that they really know who came out of the fall is the dominant number one. And it's not like Nick Saban, you know, really should care uh, if he starts somebody in one game and pulls him for the next. He's done that before. He did that right. five or six years ago. Um, it, it's just, I think sometimes uh, Saban just looks like he wants a battle with the media. And, and, and Matt, it's not like he's dealing with the White House press corps. There's not anybody. <laughs> there's not anybody in that media that that would dare to ask him, you know, what color shirt he's wearing. I mean, they're scared to death of this guy. Uh, and it's just, I don't know. What I don't like, uh, and, and every time I say this, people in Alabama get mad. I don't like the bullying of the media. I mean, it, don't bully people because you can. And and Saban has made a career at Alabama and maybe elsewhere uh, of bullying those who are weaker than him and don't have the ability and that's just not a good look uh and and that that's my that's my only complaint about this uh the rest of it i'll find out saturday i'm sure they're i'm sure the crew doing the game will know who the quarterback is so they can prepare i mean you know how important that is matt like like you're getting ready for a game on, on a thursday night and you don't know what you don't know who but you don't know enough about both quarterbacks that so you have to know the starter i mean yeah it helps to know a little bit right uh, but but it, it once again, Nick Saban has made this about himself uh, as opposed to uh, anyone else. And maybe that's his goal. But the only way we'll know whether this was the right move or not is if they if they have a quarterback at the end of the Texas game. That's it. That's all you need to know. And I can't wait to break this one down with you on Sunday when we see who goes out there and plays quarterback for Alabama the most and looks most effective when they play Middle Tennessee State. All right. So when you go into week one, Paul. It's one of those weeks where there's a couple of good matchups. There's a one or two great matchups, and there's some where teams schedule their week one game and they move on. But I want to focus on a couple and hold the theme of what does this mean for? Because I think there are a lot of matchups this week where you could look and say, you know what, this means a lot to Team X, Y, and Z. So I want to start on Thursday Utah and Florida. Florida won this game at the Swamp last year with Anthony Richardson. They go to Utah this week. We don't know the status of Cam rising. Uh, uh, Brent Keithy, I believe, is another player that, that's question marked right now. But right out of the gate, what does this game mean for Billy Napier and the Gators? I think it's a game Florida has to win, that, uh, And because of Cam rising, I mean, how do you get a gift like this? Uh, how do you get a chance to play a really good team with one of the premier quarterbacks in the country, and he may not play. Uh, and at this point, he probably, even if he plays, is not going to be very effective. Right. I mean, I think you have to go in there and and just put, you know, plant the flag. And and to me, uh, last year was an aberration. No reason to. That was just too weird about what happened there. And, and we know we know what happened afterwards. But this, you you go in there and you beat Utah, and I think they're beatable. Uh, and then suddenly you set up a game in two weeks uh, against Tennessee, where you're 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 talk about Swamp Kings too. Uh, I mean, you might you might see something like that because a, a lot of folks are, are 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 skeptical that Tennessee with with a new quarterback is going to be capable of going on the road. So I think it's that important. The problem is you go in there and score around and lose the game against a second or third or a fourth team quarterback, and all this. Uh, manufactured momentum uh, of the offseason starts to go away pretty quickly. I'm so glad you brought up the Swamp Kings parallel because that's exactly where I was going to go with this because watching that documentary, people know that Urban Meyer was the chosen one. He was a young coach, not a lot of head coaching experience when he took the job at Florida. People forget how much pressure he was in 
after year one, going into that year two that led to a national championship, and he needed some momentum to go right because, much like Billy Napier, had some good offseason recruiting and bringing in Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin, one of the best classes in the country. I think they were ranked number one, two, or three. It didn't matter. There's so many services. But he used the offseason to jumpstart the regular season. And so for me, this game means everything to Billy Napier because fans have to know that the coach that they brought in a year ago is making this thing head in the right direction. And I look, fans is short for fanatic. We know they they freak out about everything. But I, I think at least, at the very least, Paul, in the back of their heads, they're realistic enough to know when something's headed in the right and wrong direction. And I think that's why this week's everything for Billy Napier. And he's got the audience all to himself. And what about the irony playing at Utah where Urban Meyer and Mullen uh, came from? And it was all because the president at Utah, Bernie Matchin, ended up at Florida. It's pretty amazing, uh, the connection here. And, and I, I think you'll be hearing things like that. Uh, and, and I don't know, Matt. Uh, I mean, I, I if, if Cam Rising was 100% healthy, I, I don't think this game would be uh, in deba- uh, a matter of debate. But I think because he's not in the game, uh, it, it's open for conversation. And I just think if Florida is going to be, uh, well, you know, Florida needs to act like it's Florida. And and you may, you know, and not because I, I just got through watching Swamp Kings, but because I'm I'm down there every year. <laughs> that is that is a that is a brutal fan base. Uh, they don't they don't take uh, they they do you know they don't take anything other than than success. And that's why I mean Steve Spurrier, who's one of the great coaches of the modern era, left Florida in disgust. Uh, I mean, he walked out of there. He took the job in Washington, which was a terrible job for a terrible owner uh, in Danny Snyder. And, you know, people say, well, well, you know, he had a bad season. He did have a bad season his last year at Florida. He beat Maryland in the Orange Bowl and finished number three in the country. And it was considered a debacle because he lost to Tennessee on the final weekend. That was the year 9-11. Everything got moved. And he, he didn't he didn't win the national championship. The pressure is that will be that intense fairly soon for Billy Napier. So that's a big one just to kick this thing off on Thursday, August 31st, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Okay. On a much smaller scale in terms of, of where they are headed. What does week one mean for Deion Sanders, Colorado taking on last year's darling TCU? It's huge uh, for a lot of reasons. You're going to watch and see whether he can win the game or not, which very few people think he can. Uh, but you're also going to see what what that program looks like. And if it looks like a bunch of misfits who have never played together but but who have individual talent, then, then I think the spotlight that will be on him Saturday morning uh, will not carry well to the next week. I, I know the next week, what is that, Nebraska, I think? Yeah, they've got a tough start to their season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone loves Deion Sanders, but this is this is sports, Matt. And you happen to work, as I do, at, at the number one company. And at ESPN, when you do your your rundown for Sports Center, you you, you don't go ah, Colorado. They're zero and three. That's a, that's a good story. Why don't we lead with that today? <laughs> it's not well, the way it works. You never know. <laughs> well, okay, uh, <laughs> but but in Deion's case. He's got to be relevant. He's got to stay relevant uh, and get through this season. Otherwise, he's going to be very angry, very cantankerous, uh, and and really will do some some more damage than good. So here's what it is with Dion. No one, perhaps, in the history of the sport 
as a head coach has won an offseason over and over more than Deion Sanders. He's a marketing guru. No one wins off the field more than Dion. No. The biggest knock on Dion when he was at Jackson State is that he had talent, Power Five talent, playing at HBCUs where they knew that they had more talent than anybody they rolled the ball out against. Now that he's in a Power Five, now that he's at Colorado, the crowd that doesn't think Dion is more than just a motivator, a marketing guy, and shoot a documentary guy, they're going to be feasting on Colorado mm-hmm. to prove their point that Dion's not a real coach. And so for me, for Dion, he has got to say the same thing. You can't let this over the course of your first season burn out. Cause I don't think Colorado, I think Colorado's going to be three and nine, no. maybe four and eight, maybe, but there's got to be evidence to the contrary that for the Dion can't coach crowd, in the traditional list, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they handle Dion and how Dion handles himself throughout a season now, Paul, where you're playing a lot of good football teams. Yeah, I mean, going back a year, to your point, I mean, they, they've lost the big game two years in a row, even at Jackson State. Yeah. Uh, and they, they won. They, they won big. Uh, they got 60 minutes in there. They got game day. They got everything they needed, uh, which gave him what he wanted, and that's a big-time job. And now he has it. He has to show – exactly what you're saying because i just don't think colorado can sustain itself uh i mean all the all the all the uh the documentaries and the, whatever whatever else dion is doing it's great but who wants to watch a losing team yeah so it'll be fun to watch what dion does against tcu tcu a heavy favorite in that one as expected okay a little bit off the radar we're going to whip through three more games of what does this mean i want to know what does it mean for north carolina and south carolina in Charlotte, in a battle of the two states that I think will be a great game. Yeah, I think that's really uh, so much upside for for South Carolina with a win and so much danger if they lose. And the reason I say there's so much danger is they've got Georgia in a couple weeks on the road. So they have a good chance of having two losses uh, if they don't win this game by the third weekend in September. And that's without even looking at the rest of their schedule, which includes Clemson at the end. So they 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 have to win this game. As far as North Carolina, I don't take them that seriously anyway in terms mm-hmm. of being a, a conference or national contender. But it, when you have one of the best players in the country uh, and you're you're playing in your, your home state, uh, you need to win. Uh, and, you know, we, we'll, I'll spare the audience uh, my feelings and yours toward Mac Brown. We love the guy. But and he's had a he's had a great second act. Yes, he uh, has. But it could be a lot better. Uh, you know, and 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 a win here really gives them some momentum. They they have often screwed up. I think it was last year, maybe the year before. I can't remember that they blew that opening game against Virginia Tech, and it really kind of set them uh, to a spiral the rest of the way. Yeah, North Carolina got off to a great start last year, and then towards the end, Drake May, same thing, right. got off to a really Heisman Trophy like start, and then towards the last four or five games of the season really started to, to trend down. And that's why, for me, this game means everything for Drake May and that if it wasn't for Caleb Williams, he'd be talked about yeah. as the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But he's the guy they've ID'd as the it prospect at quarterback. And so for Drake May, he wants to show everybody that the last part of last season was just kind of an anomaly in the fact that it was his first year as a full-time starter. He's added some weight. He looks pretty good and looks the part of a top-flight quarterback – 
But getting out there against an SEC team, that means bragging rights for North Carolina. And for Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, they were one of those quieter, feel-good teams to talk about in the offseason. And that's why for Shane Beamer and everybody, this means a ton for him because of how he ended the last season. He beat Tennessee. I know Hennon Hooker got hurt. He beat Clemson, which isn't the easiest thing to do nowadays if you're South Carolina. So this game means everything kind of in a similar way. Drake to get started after a, a bad ending to the season in South Carolina to continue the momentum of people in Columbia saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we can go back to those spurrier years where we can flirt with double-digit wins in a couple more seasons. I can't I can't get over the fact that Drake May, uh, when he committed many years ago, he committed to Alabama. Yeah. Uh, and he was wooed by Alabama in the offseason. And, and I, I give him credit for staying the course. Everyone knows his brother was a star on the basketball program on a national championship team, but – uh, he had he had plenty of options. I, I don't know what encouraged him to uh, remain in Chapel Hill that final year, but uh, I, I, he's he is a phenomenal player and, and would be off and running. But yeah, the Beamer the uh, the Beamer train, even though they, they they won those two games, they lost to Notre Dame. You would never know it. There, I haven't seen a South Carolina fan yet that even cared that they blew the, the bowl game. It was all about that that those eight days of beating Tennessee and Clemson. Yeah, they they had some so they got beat up at the portal a little bit. Marshawn Lloyd goes out to USC, so they yeah. lost some of their talent, but we'll see what Beamer can do with that. I think that game means a lot for both of those schools in week one. Finally, we'll wrap up with this one because it's the biggest game of week one. It is LSU, Florida State, the rematch. And these two programs couldn't be any more similar in their expectations but different in that Mike Norvell gave people hope last year. Now they're at the point where they're picked to be in the college football playoff to win the ACC. Whereas Brian Kelly enters year two, probably surprised a little people in year one, winning the SEC West. But what does this game mean for Florida state and LSU? Yeah, I think it, it it probably has more importance for Florida State. And I was looking at a draft list today, Matt, and I wasn't surprised, but but I, I kind of did a double take of all the talent that Florida State has across the board. I mean, they have just so much NFL talent. Of course, so does LSU. But LSU, let's say they lose this game. Uh, yeah, they're, they're out of mulligans. Uh, they really have to run the table, but they could. Uh, and I mean, all they would have to do to get to the playoffs would be to to uh, to win the rest of the games, including some 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 nasty road games like Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Alabama, and then just simply go to Atlanta and beat Georgia, and they're in the playoffs. That's but, it. But they would still be alive. But my argument is that if Florida State loses this game, they're they're really in trouble uh, because yeah, they have they have the road game at Clemson and a couple of other ones, but. Uh, they'll be judged by a much uh, on, on a much different scale, depending on how much, uh, yeah, how many undefeated teams or or one loss teams are hanging around at the end. Yeah, and and you would like to think that a week one wouldn't damage you too much, but we saw LSU lose this game last year, still play for an SEC championship, and no one was getting through Georgia in that game. Georgia was just better than everybody else. But I don't know. To your point. I don't know that the ACC is strong enough top to bottom to carry a one-loss team, and that'll be the biggest thing for Florida State. You get through this game with a win, 
let's say I don't even know if you could trip up against Clemson and still get in. I think Florida State almost has to play perfect football from week one through championship weekend. Yeah, Matt. And remember, this this is the current system of of the ACC. Uh, It would be very difficult a couple years from now when you add SMU and sure Stanford. Stanford. It'll be be a lot easier. The strength. Then you're talking to yeah. Top to bottom juggernaut when it comes to adding Cal Stanford and SMU. So, look, there's so many games that can dictate a team's success throughout the year. And I think LSU and Florida State is fascinating for so many reasons. The comeback last year that fell short for LSU. Jaden Daniels, I think, is going to be a sleeper Heisman Trophy candidate. We know Jordan Travis is among the best in the country. So this will be a fun one to watch on Labor Day weekend. I am not going to get through a week one show here without getting your four college football playoff teams so we can put this in YouTube cement and run it when we're both horribly wrong later. Yeah, I'm, I, I have struggled with this all year, Matt. And I'm, I, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to give you the four most predictable names in the world. Do it. I love it. But I'm going to, because I, I, I can't, I can't find anyone else. So I'm, I'm going with Georgia, Michigan, Ohio state and Alabama. It's, it's very safe. It's unimaginative. It would get me laughed off uh, the, the noon sports center. <laughs> Uh, but but I just gave it. All right. So those are your sports. So to, to repeat, you're going to SEC, Georgia, Alabama, two Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State. All right. I'm going to go USC Pac-12. Ooh. Even though the defense left me a lot to desire against San Jose State, I think USC is loaded. I think they're going to figure it out. They're getting to the playoff. I'm going Sark and Texas. Oh, my goodness. I'm going Sark and Texas to win the Big 12 in their final year and get to the college football playoff. I'm going LSU. Oh, my goodness. Out of the SEC. I think they've got enough coming back. And I believe oh, now you're 0 for 3. <laughs> Georgia is just enough gettable. And I think LSU is the best team in the SEC West. And finally, I am going with the Ohio State Buckeyes because I believe of any team in the country, skill position from receiver into running back. They are loaded. If you can find a quarterback that can just distribute the ball like a point guard, I think Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you on Ohio State, and, and and even though I I know what Michigan has, and they're listen, loaded. You've been told enough times, uh, but I also know who's coaching Michigan. Yep, that's true. Well, not for the first three games. I mean, you could be coached them for the first three games; they'd go undefeated. But but I, I think I mean there are a couple. I like I mean I, not to to break break down what we've done, but I, I mean I, I admire what you've done. You've gone a little bit on the edge. I I just couldn't do it. Uh, you know, Sark, I want to believe in. Don't. Um, <laughs> you know, Southern Cal, I just can't quite get get over what I saw Saturday night. Even even the limited, I just think that defense will. Will will crumble uh, in November when that schedule gets brutal, and in LSU, I, 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 I and and I, I just don't think they'll get out of Alabama. And 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 Matt, I appreciate you putting Georgia and uh, leaving Georgia out. That that would be food for the masses on the Paul Feinbaum show this afternoon. I just don't look. At, I'm just history. I'm just I'm totally banking on history here. I know no, they've I got the schedule to set it up, but just. We could go hours on this. Yeah, you you like at some point rolling out new starters every year after going to the NFL, and now for the first time in two years without Stetson Bennett, that's got to catch up with you at some point. Okay, another school I almost fit in there was Clemson. Uh, I I know everybody loves Florida State, but I, I I'm I'm a, I'm more of a believer in them. But it's it it is uh, we will both be very wrong. I, oh, I horribly wrong. one prediction. 
horribly wrong. Like we thought Desmond Howard's playoff picks a year ago were laughable. Yeah, you can't, you can't. No, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were, in the history of mankind, there will never be a worse, uh, three worse predictions than those. <laughs> so the I next mean, time. You know, the, the good news for Desmond, I think two of the four, uh, one got to the playoffs and and two of the other three, I think had, well, one of the other three had winning records. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what you want for your playoff predictions. Next time Paul and I speak, it'll be Sunday recapping uh, a fun week one of the season. It is Labor Day weekend. Congratulations. We made it through the offseason. For Paul Feinbaum, I am Matt Berry. This is the Matt Berry Show on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel.